All right. Well, today is a, is a special day for me. Today we will conclude a two-and-a-half-year expositional study through the book of Acts. We started this study in September 2019. And some things have intervened in the last couple of years. But today we come to the end. And uh, the final chapter of Acts is both an end, but it is also a beginning. It is the end of Luke's account of the beginnings and the early history of the church. His narrative covered the expansion of the church geographically from its birth in Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, and much of the Roman Empire. Acts also recorded the expansion of the church ethnically. What began as exclusively Jewish grew to embrace the Samaritans and the Gentiles with a few Ethiopians thrown in as well. (laughs) Through the tireless efforts of the apostles, including Paul, churches were founded, strengthened, given leaders, and protected from false teachers and from false teaching. Finally, as we've been studying, the enemies of Christ managed to have Paul arrested on false charges by the Romans, but God uses those circumstances to give Paul greater opportunities to testify about Jesus to both Jews and to Romans. Now, following a harrowing voyage at sea ending in shipwreck, the apostle finally will reach his long-desired destination, Rome, the capital of the greatest empire on the planet at that time. Today, we will look at Luke's eyewitness account of the final leg of their journey to Rome. We'll see the reception that Paul receives and the ministry that Paul begins almost immediately and continues to the end of his time at Rome. As we do, remember that the work of evangelism begun by Jesus and continued by the apostles, is continuing on to this very day. The work is not yet done. We, you and I, have been called to take up that mantle, to take up that work and continue the work of sharing the gospel with all who will listen. So I would like us to open our Bibles up to Acts chapter 28. Our text for today is verses 11 through 31. And if you're able, I'd like you to stand for the reading of the first part of our text, the reading of God's holy word. I'm going to read verses 11 through 16. After three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria with the twin gods as a figurehead. 
Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days. And from there, we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up. And on the second day, we came to Petoli. There we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the Forum of Appius and the three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with a soldier who guarded him. May God bless the reading of his word to us. You may be seated. So Luke begins by telling us that Paul's journey to Rome resumed. Now last Sunday... We saw that God gave Paul and his companions time and opportunity to proclaim the gospel, heal the sick, and establish the first Christian church on the island of Malta. Winter had now passed. It's been three months. And so it's probably mid-February in 61 A.D., Luke gives us another detailed description of their travels from Malta to Rome, even telling us that they sailed aboard another Alexandrian grain ship, similar to the one that they had been shipwrecked in. And I want to show you on a map that shows their route from Malta to Rome. And so if you look over here to the west, there's the island of Malta, about 60 miles south of Sicily. Of course, the first part of that was their earlier travels and their shipwreck then on Malta. And now today they're traveling north to Rome. The ship sailed north-northeast to the harbor of Syracuse on the east coast of Sicily. There they stayed for three days. From Syracuse, they set sail for Regium at the toe of Italy. They docked there for one day. And the next day, a south wind sprang up, and in two days, they arrived at their destination, the principal port of Italy, Petoli, on the Bay of Naples. Here, they disembarked. Luke tells us that they had to remain in Petoli for a week, probably while the trip to Rome was being arranged. There, they found a group of Christians, and Paul and the others were allowed to stay with them for seven days. We have no record of how they spent the time there, but we can imagine that the brothers and sisters in Christ were thrilled to hear from the Apostle Paul. We also know that while they were there, word spread quickly all the way to Rome that Paul was in Petoli and would soon be headed to Rome. At the end of the seven days, they proceeded up the Appian Way, the Roman road that passed from Petoli to Rome. And along the way, they encountered groups of Christians who had come out to see and greet Paul as he made his way to Rome. Sort of his own triumphal entry, if you will. Upon seeing them, Paul thanked God and he took courage. And this reminds me that we have such an opportunity to encourage one another in Christ, don't we? Just as Eric said, 
when we look out at the congregation and we see you, we're encouraged to see you here, to see you in fellowship, to see you worshiping our Lord. We have an opportunity to encourage one another in Christ. If we will just show up and show our appreciation for one another, our appreciation for those who labor among us. Luke tells us that Paul was encouraged. Remember, he is still a prisoner. He is still facing trial and potentially imprisonment or even death. He trusted God and he trusted God's promises, but he was also human. So he may have had some anxiety regarding what would happen next. And the brothers and sisters in Christ coming to greet him gave him courage. Paul was able to take strength from the fellowship of the saints as they greeted him. And he gives thanks to God in spite of his chains. He knows that God is in control, and he knows that God has finally answered his prayers to come to Rome. Perhaps not in the way he expected, but nevertheless, in God's timing, he arrives at last. Luke then tells us that when they arrive in Rome, because Paul is a Roman citizen, he is allowed to live at his own expense under house arrest although chained to a guard 24-7. He could therefore have visitors and guests in his home, and as we shall see, he will take full advantage of that for the purpose of ministry. Now, Rome at this time was the largest city in the world with a population of over half a million somewhere between 500 and 700,000 at this time. And this included a very large Jewish population, somewhere between 40 and 60,000 Jews lived in Rome at this time. Three days after Paul's arrival, Paul sends for the leaders of the Jews to come and meet with him. Look at verse 17 with me. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I have done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. And when they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. Paul wanted to meet with the Jewish leaders there in Rome. Now, they've uncovered the remains of four or five synagogues in the ancient ruins of Rome. But there was reportedly 11 synagogues at one time in Rome. So there was, again, a large Jewish population, and that means there were many leaders of the Jews there. 
And there were at least two reasons for Paul to want to meet with those Jewish leaders. First, Paul would have been released in Jerusalem if it had not been for the Jewish leaders there objecting and pressing charges against him. Now that he's in Rome, he would want to avoid any similar trouble being stirred up by these leaders based on any false accusations that they may have heard. So he wants to get out in front of any trouble. Secondly, and maybe even more importantly, as he always did, he would look for an opportunity to proclaim Christ as the hope of Israel, Christ as the true Messiah, Christ as the king of the kingdom of God. When he met with these leaders, he must have been very surprised to hear that they had heard absolutely nothing about him from the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem. Look at verse 21. And they said to him, we have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are. For with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. So apparently, once Paul had been sent away to Rome, the Jewish leaders simply lost interest in his case. Church tradition tells us that those leaders never appeared in Rome to press charges against Paul. And that is why he was released after two more years of captivity. So initially at least, the Jewish community in Rome was not in opposition to Paul. Now, they were not sure, however, about his teachings. Because they had heard about this sect formed by followers of Jesus. Now, it was not yet widely known as Christianity. Some called them followers of the way. Because remember, Jesus had said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So for a time, they were called followers of the way, Jesus being the way. But many believed that it was simply a sect of Judaism. And they wanted to know Paul's views because all they had heard about it was negative. So they set a day to return and hear his views on this new teaching. Luke then tells us very briefly what happened at this second meeting with the Jewish leaders in Rome. Look at verse 23. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning until evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus from both, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. When the appointed day arrived, the Jewish leaders returned and they came in even greater numbers. 
They wanted to hear what this very educated rabbi had to say about Jesus. This is a miracle in itself, folks. This is exactly why God had made the travel arrangements for Paul to be in Rome to accomplish his purposes. Luke tells us that the session went from morning until evening. These men wanted to hear, and Paul took this golden opportunity to expound upon the meaning of the kingdom of God and who Jesus was, and he did so, note this, from their own scriptures. We unfortunately do not have a transcript or a recording of what went on that day, that all-day seminar on Jesus being the Messiah, the Savior, and the King of the kingdom of God. Oh, to have such a transcript (laughs) or a recording. But Luke does give us some insight into what Paul did. Luke tells us that Paul expounded the scriptures, that Paul testified of the things that he had seen, heard, and experienced, and he tells us that Paul clearly was attempting to convince or persuade them about Jesus from their own scriptures. Paul desired that these men would come to know Jesus as both Savior and Lord, as he had, and that they would be born again, that they would receive eternal life through faith in Christ. Now, even though we don't have a transcript of what he said, we can get a pretty good idea of what he said that day by looking at his previous teaching to other Jews, such as in Acts chapter 13. Or by reading his arguments written in his letters, such as his letter to the Romans. So this is what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to turn two pages in your Bible to Romans chapter 3. Isn't that convenient? Two pages over, Romans chapter 3. Because I want you to see the way that Paul reasoned, especially with the Jews who knew God's word. They knew God's commandments. They had a desire to know God. So Paul would reason to them from their own scriptures. So Romans chapter 3, I'm going to start by reading verses 10 through 20. As it is written, by the way, when Paul says, as it is written, he is now going to quote, from the Old Testament scriptures, the Jewish scriptures. So verses 10 through 18 are all quotes from their own scriptures, and most of them from Psalms. So the Jewish leaders would be familiar with every one of these quotes. This is how Paul starts. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. By the way, those are God's words. That's not Paul's judgment. He's quoting God. God says, no one is righteous, no, not one. Now, that's a problem. That's a problem. 
Because if you're not righteous, you cannot stand before a righteous God. So how can you become righteous? We'll get to that. Verse 12, all have turned aside. Together they've become worthless. No one does good, not even one. We might think we know the way. And most people think that the way is by being good or doing good things. God says, I've never met that person. There is none good, none righteous, none who does good. Not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. They think they know the way, but they don't know the way. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. What's the primary purpose of the law of God? To show us we need a savior. To show us our unrighteousness. Our sinfulness. The primary purpose of the law is not for us to keep it. Because there's only one man who's kept the law. And that's Jesus, the son of God. The only one who was good. The only one who did good. The only one who was righteous. So these Jewish leaders who were pursuing living according to God's law, God says, you can't do it. You've missed the purpose. The purpose is not for you to struggle to keep the law. The purpose is for you to realize you can't and to call out for a savior. So what then can be done? How can we be justified before God? I'm glad you asked that. Look at verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. Meaning... It doesn't matter if you're Jewish, if you're Greek, if you're Roman, if you're Californian. There's no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all means all, without exception. Verse 24, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he passed over the former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. 
then what becomes of our boasting? It's excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Praise be to God. You should be so thankful for that fact. Because you can't be justified by your own works. You can't be justified by your obedience. We can only be justified by putting our faith in the one who came to justify us. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He came to pay the penalty for our sins. And he did so. We are justified through the redemption purchased by the sacrifice of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. God is both just and he is the justifier, but only of the one who has faith in Jesus. Now, I'm sure that Paul certainly would have included prophecies from the Old Testament regarding the suffering, death, burial, and resurrection of the Messiah. I have no doubt Isaiah 52 and 53 would have been a part of that. And he would have shown how all of those prophecies, over a hundred, were all fulfilled in Jesus. And you know what? He would have included the eyewitness testimonies of those who saw Jesus after his resurrection, in his glorified body, including himself. And finally, he would have called upon them to repent and believe in order to enter the kingdom of God, which had come in Christ. Paul would have taken the opportunity to answer every objection raised by those present through the power of the Holy Spirit working in him and bringing all things to his remembrance. What do you think the chances are that any of these Jewish leaders would be persuaded and would believe in Jesus? Well, probably you would think the chances weren't very good, but God. You see, salvation doesn't simply come from hearing the truth or even just believing the truth. God must give the gift of saving faith to those who believe. Luke tells us that Paul's teaching accomplished what it always had. Some believed and some did not. Look at verse 24. Oh, I got to go back. Acts 28, 24. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. Some were convinced by Paul and responded by believing in Christ. Yet others disbelieved, rejecting the gospel message given so accurately by the Apostle Paul. What made the difference? The Holy Spirit. To those chosen by God for salvation were given ears to hear and eyes to see and faith to believe. To the others, this was not given. That they would not understand. And that is exactly what Paul tells them. Quoting from Isaiah 
chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. Look at verses 25 through 28 in our text. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made this one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, quote, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear but never understand. You will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. With their ears they can barely hear. With their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. What is Paul saying here? This message is very important for us. Very important. Paul is saying this. He had fulfilled his mandate. And his mandate is the same as ours. To proclaim the truth, to proclaim the gospel. For the gospel is the power of God for salvation to all who believe, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now, you and I don't control who is saved, that's in God's hands. But we can be confident. That all of those chosen by God for salvation shall be saved. But listen to me. We have our part to play in that. By God's grace. We are called to be his witnesses. We are called to be his messengers. We do our part and God will take care of the rest. Amen? What a relief. You mean when the Apostle Paul has all day to argue from the scriptures, still his own countrymen left there not believing? Yes, that's correct. The greatest apostle who ever lived, the man who wrote half of the New Testament, empowered by the Holy Spirit, preached the gospel, and yet all did not believe. And guess what? We experience the same thing today, don't we? We are called to be Christ's witnesses. We are called to share the gospel. But don't be discouraged if you share the gospel with someone and they don't believe. Don't think to yourself, oh, I guess I don't know how to do this right. Or I guess I shouldn't do this anymore because I'm not being effective. Is that what Paul said? No! Paul said, if you didn't believe, it's because you don't have ears to hear or eyes to see. Because God hasn't given you faith. It wasn't his fault. So we need to take confidence in this. God has ordained us to gospel ministry. But God has to give the gift of saving faith to those individuals for them to believe. Pray for that. Pray for them, knock and keep on knocking, ask and keep on asking that God would open the hearts of your friends, your neighbors, your loved ones to the gospel. And if it is his will, he will do so. Amen?
Well, the book of Acts ends with a summary statement by Luke of how Paul spent the next two years in Rome. And we find that in verses 30 and 31. Look at that with me. Luke writes, he lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Now, Luke does not tell us what happened when the two years of Paul's arrest were over. He tells us nothing regarding Paul's appeal or trial. He tells us nothing about Paul's release, a further missionary traveling, his rearrest, and his eventual execution. Instead, he leaves us with a picture of the Apostle Paul chained to a Roman soldier, welcoming visitors to his house on a regular basis, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching them about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Listen to me. This may be the end of the book of Acts. But as we all know, this is not the end of the story. In fact, the story is still being written to this day. The book of Acts began with our resurrected Lord and Savior, Jesus, giving a command, a commission to all of his followers. Remember that? In Acts 1.8, Jesus said this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Luke then told us, in the book of Acts, how this was fulfilled with Jesus' disciples being filled with the Holy Spirit, the gospel being proclaimed in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, with thousands being saved and added to the church. Then Paul and the others who had become witnesses for Christ in other areas of the Roman Empire, they proclaimed the gospel. Thousands were saved and churches were established throughout the empire. Now Paul has reached Rome the capital of the Roman Empire. And what is he doing? What is he doing? He's being a witness for Christ. He's proclaiming the gospel. He's seeing people come to faith in Christ and being added to the church. Luke is saying to us, there is no end to this work until the gospel reaches to the end of the earth. And Jesus returns in power and great glory. You want to know when Jesus is going to return? I can tell you. Can't tell you the day or the date. But I believe with all my heart, when the last one who's chosen for salvation hears the gospel and believes by faith in Jesus Christ, when that last one chosen by God enters in, I believe Jesus will then return. And that's how we can hasten the coming of Jesus, by telling the gospel to others. So Luke doesn't give us an ending. But I do want to note the last phrase in the book of Acts. 
that says that Paul was proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness. Now that we expect from Paul. But then Luke says, and without hindrance. Now I took a little pause at that when I read that. What do you mean without hindrance? Certainly from a human perspective, there seem to be many hindrances. Think of what Paul had endured. Persecutions, beatings, arrests, imprisonments, storms, shipwrecked, more imprisonment. And Luke says he's doing this without hindrance. Why? Because none of those things hindered the word of God. Nothing can hinder the word of God. Remember, God tells us that his word will not return void, but it will accomplish the purpose for which it is sent forth. And that's exactly what happened in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, in the Roman Empire, in Rome, and is still happening here in Sonoma County, California to this very day and around the world as well. When the gospel is proclaimed, lives are changed. God takes that gospel and he saves. Amen? Amen. So, I want to close with this. You and I need to determine to follow the example set for us by Paul and the other disciples of Christ. Let us go forth in the power of the Holy Spirit, armed with the very word of God, and let us be witnesses for Christ, sharing the gospel to everyone with boldness, knowing that it is the power of God for salvation for all who believe. And I pray that we would continue the work to see men and women, boys and girls, saved by grace and added to the church, all all according to the mighty power of God to save. We serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. Above him, there's no other. Jesus is the way. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity as we come to the end of this glorious book written by your servant Luke. We thank you, Father God, for how the Holy Spirit led Luke to write this account of the early beginnings of the church. And we thank you, Father God, that this account has been preserved for us so that we might know how the church was established, how it is that the faith has been passed on from generation to generation to generation. And we today are the recipients of that gospel. We thank you, Father God, for how you used these men to proclaim your gospel and how through the power of your spirit, you caused men and women, boys and girls, to be born again as a result of hearing that they can be justified have their sins forgiven, be adopted into the family of God, and have eternal life 
by putting their faith and trust in your son, Jesus, who paid the penalty for their sins. What a glorious message this is. Help us, Father God, to embrace this message ourselves, to remind ourselves of the gospel daily, that it is by grace alone that we are saved, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and all of this is to your glory. And Father God, help us to be faithful witnesses, to share this glorious gospel with others, to tell them that Jesus is the way. And may they come to faith in Christ as well according to your perfect will. Help us in this, we pray. And we'll give you all the praise and all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.